praise today. Let's sing. We wait for this day. We're gathered in your name. We're calling out to you. Glory like a fire. Awakening desire. morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for join, us joining with you this morning, being in your presence, and may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts in a powerful way this morning. We pray, Lord, that your will will be done, your name will be glorified, your name will be honored. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. It is good to see everybody. You can be seated. 
It's good to see everybody that's here this morning, especially those of you who are gathering with us uh, there online, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, be sure to heart, to like, to share uh, the post there. That'll just help to get the word out. Uh, also, and just another invite there, you can do that even from here. Uh, just go on and, and say that you're here. Uh, that's, a, that's a way that you can share there too. So be sure to do that. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook. You'll get the notifications every time we go live, as well as the subscribing on YouTube. You'll get that there also and then retweet on Twitter. Uh, welcome to those also who are on our phone live streaming. We have several who use uh, that service. And if you need that service, please see me after church. I'll be glad to give you that phone number uh, or even before then if you need to come see me down here at the front so that you can give that number to someone to join us uh, online. <clears throat> also want to encourage you if you're at home, uh, just to remind you uh, because we do have things a little bit different uh, this morning. Uh, we, our website was down most all the week uh, this week uh, with our our server that we have and so uh, everything is back up now but it was too late for us to get everything on uh, the website there so we put it up all up on Facebook on Friday so if you will go there you can download the worship bulletin on the previous Facebook post uh, you can also get the children's worship bulletins there uh, you can go to a post that was on there before Wednesday night's service you can get the prayer list there so be sure uh, to do that uh, I encourage you to take the time to do that if you need the children's worship bulletins they're over here to my right uh, in the windowsill so we do have those things that are printed here uh, we just didn't have the ability to get those on our website un until yesterday late yesterday and it was too late for us to be able to do that so uh, also just want to mention also Easter is going to be coming up uh, just to mention that to you we've got a lot of things that are going to be coming up here soon uh, upon us and so just want to remind you uh, April the 1st is going to be our children's uh, Easter egg hunt uh, so just get the word out about that. We've got some cards that are down here on the front to my right. If you want to pick up some of those, we've got plenty more than what's on the stage. Uh, if those are gone, we'll get some more uh, out here for you to grab. Uh, but we'll also have our sunrise service on April uh, the 16th for Easter, uh, as well as, or April the 9th, sorry, uh, for Easter. And then we'll also have uh, our regular service that our choir will be singing at 1030 that morning. So just want to let you know about those things so that you can join us uh, for those things. And there'll be more of that going out uh, on social media too. But good to see everybody that's here this morning. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Morning all. Paraphrased, Isaiah 3510 says, The ransomed of the Lord will enter Zion singing and joy. Let's practice. Stand up. And let's practice for what we're going to be doing eternally, <coughs> praising the Lord. Let's sing 524, we're marching to Zion. Fire great, ladies. Come.
Amen. If you look at your bulletins, and if you're at home, hopefully you've gotten one downloaded from that previous post on Facebook, you'll notice that our missionaries of the week are Matt and Ruth Leahy. They're serving in Canada in your prayer guides. Uh, they're on day seven, so I encourage you to uh, still use that prayer guide all throughout this month. Uh, but rather than me telling you about their story, we want to share a video this morning uh, about their story. So prayerfully watch and listen to their testimony. is called The Rock because life here is hard. We're an island off the east coast of Canada, and from a, a spiritual perspective, it's mind-boggling how little churches there are. You know, my, my parents are from Newfoundland. My whole heritage is from here. And so we moved back uh, to Newfoundland because it's a fantastic place to plant a church. When I first came to Newfoundland, I remember sitting on my couch praying, and just feeling so sad that people that I didn't even know, <laughs> I hadn't even met them yet, but they had no chance to hear the gospel. We are here in Kilbride and there's a lot of young families here. And in 1892, the, the last church existed in Kilbride. It burnt down in 1892. Uh, and so the gospel hasn't been preached here in 128 years. And so we set out to have people in our home because there's a term called CFA, come from away. If you're born on the mainland or anywhere else but Newfoundland and you move here, you will always be known as a come from away. So we had to adjust our mindset and say, we are moving to Newfoundland and we are going to let God work we know that that's probably going to be a long process. We are seeing the gospel transforming people, but still when we are gathering on Sundays, I'm always reminded of how outnumbered we are. If I were to get in a car and drive two hours south, you won't find a single Bible-preaching, gospel-centered evangelical church. And so it's the rock because it's, it's very hard to plant seeds here. But Lord, here I am, send me. And so this morning we do want to pray for Matt and Ruth Leahy and their family and praying for all of our missionaries around uh, the nation and the world. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence this morning. Thank you for missionaries like Matt and Ruth who have answered the call to go to places that are hard to plant seeds. Father, I pray that you will bless them in a powerful and a mighty way as Southern Baptists all across this nation are uplifting them this week in prayer. And Father, we just pray that you will encourage them uh, in those discouraging times, Lord, that you'll wrap your loving arms around them and give them the strength to keep pressing forward in the work that you've called them there to in Newfoundland. And Lord, we just want to uplift all of our missionaries across this nation, across North America, uh, and around the world. And we pray, God, that your hedge of protection would be about them. Lord, that your blessings would be upon them and that you would help them, Lord, as they seek to share the gospel and to disciple new believers uh, in their walk with you. So bless all of our missionaries.
missionaries and bless us, Lord, as you continue to lay upon our hearts what you would have us to give towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Father, I pray that you'll bless us, that we might be a blessing financially uh, to these missionaries, as well as to continue to uplift them in our prayers and to come alongside them and to support them. So bless them in a special way and bless this service this morning as we give everything to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Uh, let me just remind you, too, um, uh, you'll hear some things at the end, so be sure to stick around for those announcements uh, at the end, some important things there. Uh, but let me just remind you about your giving. Uh, we do have envelopes for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, uh, so be sure to grab one of those if you want. If you just use your regular envelope, just mark on there uh, how you're designating that for the regular budget offering and then for uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So just want to remind you of those things. It is good to see everybody here this morning. Wasn't it good to see a little bit of snow this morning? morning some of you are like boo preacher boo <laughs> I love that snow so even if it's just a little bit I'll count just a little bit brother Mike we'll continue our singing this morning in our in our theme with uh, song 314 join us with whosoever will as they sing this morning. Uh, didn't get to tell our sound people up there uh, before, but number 22 on the CD there is already in.
join us by standing and singing hymn number 311, which is, Let Jesus Come Into Your Heart. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel once again. What I had intended to be one sermon has made it to three. And so uh, this is the third part, three different parables here, but all with the same kind of emphasis uh, in each one. And so uh, just want to bring this uh, here. There's so much in uh, this parable itself, in the parable of the wedding. 
Uh, and so as Jesus is answering, as we'll see that question, by what authority do you do these things? Uh, he is sharing these parables to answer that and also to bring a word of judgment upon uh, those who had rejected him. Uh, let me just remind you too, if you're a guest here with us this morning, be sure to pick up one of our guest bags that are on the sides of the stage at the table at the, at the bottom as you go out that way or back here on the tables in the hallway. Uh, be sure to pick up one of those. If you have a guest with you this morning, make sure uh, that they get one. Uh, this has a lot of information in it about our church as well as some gifts that we wanted to give to you. But we're going to be here in Matthew chapter 22 uh, this morning, here in verse 1 down through verse 14. We're going to just read verse 1 through verse 4 right now. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent others servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this passage this morning and for this parable because not only does it speak to the nation of Israel in the particular time that Jesus shares it with them, it also has application for our lives also if we've rejected the message of the gospel and for us as believers to be sure that we're sharing that message that we have received. And so, Father, I pray that your will will be done during this invitation uh, this morning. Father, I pray that you'll use this passage to speak to our hearts that if there is one who's here who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them and for those who are in Christ, those who have received and accepted the invitation. Father, I pray that we will be faithful to share with others around us the good news of the gospel uh, before that day of the Lord comes. So bless your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. So if you'll remember, we had it there in the title. We've already talked about the parable of the two sons uh, back in chapter 21. Uh, actually leading from verse 23 down through verse 32, we talked about the servants uh, in the vineyard in that parable in verse 33 uh, through verse 45. And now we come to chapter 22 here and we see this parable of the wedding feast. Now this parable here is in the fourth major section of Matthew's gospel, which Matthew's gospel is focused on presenting Jesus as the king. It is written uh, primarily to a Jewish audience, as Matthew was writing here, but there is application for us also, even if we're not Jewish. And so this section is all about the rejection of the king. In fact, in, the, in this whole section here, Jesus is talking about the sins of Israel and he begins to explain why the religious leaders rejected him and his message. If you'll remember uh, back in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23, as Jesus is teaching there in the temple, he's walking around teaching and, and sharing with the people and they stop him in his tracks because they don't want him sharing anymore and they say, by what authority are you doing these things and who gets gave you this authority. They're angry and they're bitter and they're hostile and they're already planning his death, uh, the Bible tells us. And, and so he answers them with this trilogy, if you will, 
of these three parables. The first, as we said in Matthew 21, 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons, the second of the vineyard uh, that was leased out to the tenant farmers. Uh, and the master of the vineyard comes back uh, to find uh, that uh, as he sends servants back to inquire about the, the, the fruit and, and what would be uh, coming uh, to him, they, they rejected them, they even killed them, they even killed his own son. And then this third parable in this trilogy happens here in the beginning of chapter 22. Each of these parables is alike uh, in their message, which is a message of judgment. And these parables can somewhat be reduced to a simple understanding that Jesus is saying to them, you have rejected me. The, all of the Old Testament prophets were speaking of me as the Messiah. All of the miracles that I have done have validated the claim that I've made to be the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. All of the words that I have said affirm that, and you have consistently for these three years repeatedly rejected me, and now God rejects you. And that's the essence of the parables. Uh, these are parables of judgment, and they climax here in this third very dramatic parable. Now, this parable in particular is one of the most dramatic, one of the most powerful of all of Jesus' parables. It's a parable here of a royal wedding feast. Now, there's another place in the Gospels where there's another wedding feast parable, but it's different from this one because this one talks about it being a royal wedding feast. Uh, it's directed in a very specific way in its historical context. And yet, in general, it has a far-reaching implication even for us. And so I want us to see these four scenes in this parable that speak to us even today. Notice the first is the invitation is rejected. You see that in verse 1 down through verse 6. And so I read verse 1. Let me read verse 1 for you again. It says, and again Jesus spoke to them in parables. Now I like the ESV here, the English Standard Version, that says Jesus spoke to them. Some versions say he answered them. Uh, it's not necessarily that he's referring to a specific question. It just means he responded to them once again. So remember what a parable is. Uh, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, it had, uh, it started with things that, that they could understand and, and would always move to things maybe that they couldn't understand, uh, going from the known to the unknown, and then Jesus would make it known to those who were followers of his. And so here he draws for them a story which, which every one of them would not only understand, but would indeed set them up for its great spiritual truth. And so notice the beginning of verse 2. Verse 2 tells us about this parable and says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. And so we see there uh, that this is a story about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's the only gospel writer uh, who uses that phrase uh, because his focus is to proclaim Jesus as king to the Jewish people. The kingdom of heaven, it means the same thing in the other gospels as the kingdom of God. It means the sovereignty, the reign, the rule of God. And many times it's referring to eternal life and salvation. So this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So if it's a king's son, what is he? A prince. 
He's a prince. So this isn't just a, a common, everyday person. Notice that Matthew here, uh, he's saying this is like a certain king who made in the Greek, uh, the Greek word is there, is, is gamos, uh, which is a wedding feast. It's the word where we get our English word monogamous uh, from. It has to do with a wedding or a marriage, but the word itself means a wedding feast. So the wedding was really, when you go back to that culture, uh, the wedding in those days, the, the feast was inseparable from the whole wedding ceremony itself. A wedding in those days was a big, long feast that was normally about seven days. You had the people come to your house for the wedding feast, you fed them, you cared for them uh, for these seven days, and if you were a king... Many times it would go beyond seven days. Uh, and it wasn't until the very end of that time period that you put uh, the hand of the bride into the hand of the groom and they went off to consummate the marriage. It, it, was, one of the, it was one of the great celebrations. It was one of the highlights uh, of life uh, to go to a wedding, even as it is today. I mean, we celebrate uh, when we go to weddings. But notice here, this wedding is made by a king for his son. So if it's made by a king, it's going to be the wedding of all weddings. It isn't important that it was a marriage because nothing else is said about the bride and nothing is said about the actual marriage itself and the wedding. What's important is that Jesus wants to point out that this is the greatest celebration that these people in this story that he's telling could ever comprehend in their culture. And the people who are hearing this story would understand that. And so he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like the greatest celebration imaginable, thrown by the wealthiest person imaginable. So he wants to capture here all of the best that life could ever imagine to give. This was the blowout of all blowouts in that culture. But then notice verse 3. So, so he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not Come. So what this introduces to us here is a, a Middle Eastern custom here because in those days they didn't have watches uh, that they went by. They didn't have uh, planners on their phones or on their devices. Uh, they weren't as strict and rigidly tied to time schedules as we are today. Uh, they didn't have the ease that we have in getting food. And, and so all that goes into a long festival and, and large groups of people. They didn't have the conveniences that we have. You can call up the wedding planner and you can tell the wedding planner we're expecting this many people and they just show up with all the food and you don't have to do any of that they can do all that for you well they didn't have all that convenience that we have today and so preparation was very difficult and so it tells us there in verse 3 his servants uh, sent to call the were sent to call those who were invited to the wedding feast now understand this these people had already been invited uh, we don't get, this is not the first invitation that they're getting to come. They've already received the invitations before. In other words, uh, there had been a preliminary invitation. And so certain people had been given invitations to come to the king's wedding feast. And as far as we can tell from the text, they had accepted the invitation. If you accepted the invitation, that meant you were coming. That implied that you were coming. In fact, if you got an invitation from the king, what are you probably going to do? You're probably going to take that invitation and flaunt it around to everybody and say, look what I got. I got, a, I got an invitation to the wedding feast for the son of the king. Uh, have you? 
and we're honored guests. As soon as the servants come to tell us everything's ready to begin, you know, we're going to go, and, and they would just go on and on and on. They would have maybe even gloated about the invitation. Uh, you could assume that from the text here, and they're, they're already invited ones. And so now when the moment is ready to begin, the servants are sent out to these people to tell them, okay, it's time for you to come to the wedding feast. I mean, they didn't have a phone to pop out and say, hey, here's a text, send it to all your people in, their, in your contacts here. No, they had to send out messengers to go to all those people who had been invited to say it's time to begin the wedding feast. And so the servants, they go out to bring back the ones who have already been invited. And unbelievably, it says at the end of verse 3, they would not come. Wow. That's mind-boggling. As Jesus is telling this story and people are hearing him tell this, uh, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they couldn't come. It says they wouldn't come. And you can just imagine when Jesus is saying this that there's probably some gasps in the crowd because this is a king's invitation. You don't refuse the king's invitation. It's unthinkable here. And so now we're beginning to see this parable begin to have an impact on the people who are hearing it because it included the religious leaders who, who are going to have to be saying, well, this story is ridiculous. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nobody would not go. And so uh, for several reasons they knew that. For, for one, you would be snubbing the honor of the king that he was giving to you. I mean, think about it. If you're going to a wedding feast for the king, it's not going to be some piddly uh, shindig that you're going to. I mean, it's going to be a huge banquet feast, and, and there'd be all kind of free food. That's not a bad deal. And, and the kind of food that the king's going to serve is the good stuff compared to what the common people would have served. And, and thirdly, you just don't mess with Middle Eastern kings because if you don't show, you might lose your head. I mean, everything to them said, go. It was reasonable, but they wouldn't go. So what's the king's response? What would your response be? <laughs> I can't believe they wouldn't come. You just cut them off. But notice what the king does in verse 4. He's a nice king. He's a kind king. Verse 4 says, again, he sent other servants telling those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So he sends these other servants to go back to the ones who have already been invited. He has them re-emphasize the importance of why they need to come now. Because notice what Jesus uses here. You may not see this in the, in the English version, but there are two different words for the meals that they would have. One is the Greek word ariston, the other is uh, depnon. Uh, ariston is the word that's used here, uh, and it's translated dinner here. Uh, depnon is the term that was always used for the evening meal. Uh, which was after sunset. Ariston is the morning meal, which was usually served sometime between dawn and, and noon. Uh, the Jews only ate two meals a day. And so the wedding feast, uh, the festival, began with a morning meal, and then they would have a post-sunset evening meal. 
And so he's saying to them, it's already, we cannot let this food go to waste from the heat of the day. It's not going to last through to the evening meal. You have to come now. Everything is prepared. There's an importance for you to come now. It's all going to waste if you don't come now. And so notice verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. So they paid no attention holds the idea there that they made light of it. They treated it with indifference, the invitation. The Greek word means to be unconcerned, and they just walked away from it. So if we could hear what the people are thinking that are gathered around Jesus as he's telling this story, they were probably thinking something like this. These people are out of their mind. Why would you ever do such a thing? Uh, this story is impossible to believe. No one would ever do this. And so for them, it's a far-fetched story uh, that Jesus is setting up here, much like the previous two that he sets up in, a, in that same type of way. It's inconceivable. Uh, and so you read in verse 5 in the remaining part, he says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And so they say, we're not going to go to your wedding feast, king, for your son. We're going to go over to the farm and, and do some work. Or, or we're going to go over to the store, to the business there, and do some things there. But we're not coming to this royal wedding feast. It doesn't make sense. Such indifference and such selfish preoccupation and such an insult to this king. And if you think that's bad, look at what happens in verse 6. While they seized the rest of his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. It's crazy. Now it's really getting foolish in this story that Jesus is talking about. I mean, this parable is really ridiculous. They killed the guys who came to call them to the feast. What's up? What does this mean? Well, the story is clear, as we'll see, that the kingdom of heaven is the sphere of God's rule by salvation. It's the community of the redeemed. It's the place of divine blessing and salvation by grace. The king is God. Who's the son? Jesus Christ himself. And the idea of a great banquet is a Jewish idea. The Jews uh, knew that when the Messiah comes that God will put up a banquet to end all banquets and will feast with the Messiah. Isn't that what we talk about and understand is going to happen in heaven? There's going to be a great wedding feast, a great banquet feast that we even talk about as Christians. And so Jesus picks up this very messianic concept out of the Jewish thinking with this wedding feast. And so God is calling his people to his son. He's calling people to come to the kingdom and, and uh, to his kingdom and honor his son. And who are the invited guests in this parable? It's the Jews. It's, the, it's Israel. And who are the servants that go out to call that have already been the, to call the already called ones? It's the prophets. And what do they do to them? The Bible tells us here that some people treated them with indifference. And some of the people murdered them. They killed the prophets that we talked about in the last parable. They killed Isaiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, many others that they treated with indifference. Uh, they also killed John the Baptist, who was the fourth teller uh, of the Messiah, Jesus, who was come. They cut his head off. We find out that here in just a little while that they're, they're going to kill Jesus. James himself would be beheaded. And the rest of the apostles is a list of martyrs. And so the message of this parable is simply understood. The invitation 
has been rejected. Let's go to the second point. Notice the rejectors are punished. We see this in verse 7. So um, remember, the king's been gracious. He could have just done away with them to start with, but he was kind and generous and sent another group of servants to go and invite them again and to tell them the urgency of why they should come. But verse 7 now, after they've uh, mistreated those shamefully and killed them, the Bible says in verse 7, the king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So he's been gracious to the point of sending out one group after another group, showing his generosity and his kindness and his forgiveness and his grace and the mercy of the king, right? I mean, it's only meant to demonstrate how gracious this king has been, how willing he is to call again and again and again, just like Jesus did, just like John did, just like all the apostles did. But his patience has a limit. His patience has an end. And when, they kill, when they've killed uh, those, he responds in anger. And, and it's justified because they killed innocent servants. I mean, think about it. Uh, the, the murderers were destroyed. He, he brings judgment upon them. Their cities are burned up. And that's very dramatic here. The orders given for the burning of their city. Why? So he's still telling the story here. Verse 8, he says, and he said... Uh, to his uh, servants in verse 8, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That's why. That's why the order was given, because they were not worthy. Why weren't they worthy? It wasn't that they weren't worthy because they weren't good enough and because they weren't moral enough, and because they weren't ethical enough, or because they didn't do enough good deeds. No, they weren't worthy because they wouldn't accept the invitation. Do you get that? That's all that he says. Worthiness isn't dependent on your or my moral virtue. They would have been worthy if they had just accepted the invitation and come. That's very important in the point that Jesus is sharing in this parable. You see, when he goes back to call another group in verse 10, he calls those that are bad and good. So it isn't that he's looking around for who are the most noble people, who are the most moral people, who are the most self-righteous people in the world and say, ah, those people, they're the worthy ones. They're the ones who should come. No, worthiness is tied to saying yes to the invitation. And so these people who rejected the invitation weren't worthy because they wouldn't come. So the message of the parable is that they weren't worthy because they refused salvation in the Son. There's a limit to God's patience. There's a limit to His endurance. And they had reached that limit. And so what he's saying is because Israel has rejected the Messiah, God is rejecting them. We've seen the invitation rejected. We've seen the rejectors punished. And now we see new guests are invited. Verse 9. So he tells some more servants. He tells them, go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So everything's ready. Nobody's come. 
And so something new has happened. It's been taken away from the nation that rejected, and now it's going to be given to a new people. And who is this new people? He says, go into the main roads or into the highways. The Greek word literally there means crossroads, the, the forks in the road. Go everywhere. Just go to the crossroads where people are gathering, where they're crossing, uh, to the byways, to the highways, and get everybody to come. And so the point here is to go everywhere you can and to get anybody who will respond to the invitation to come. Isn't that the heart of the gospel message? And that's where we are now isn't it? Their fall became our rising. God will not be frustrated. And so the wedding feast is going to have some guests. The celebration is going to go on. And if it isn't one group, it's going to be another group. And notice in verse 10, he says, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and, or bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So they found both the bad and the good. Now, good and bad there in terms of morality, human morality. But when it comes to calling people into the kingdom, there's no discrimination. God isn't going around looking for moral people. That, that, you know, some people feel like, when I get my life right, then I'll come to the Lord. That's not the invitation. The invitation is come just as you are. Let him change you from the inside out. So God is calling everybody, both the good and the bad. And then at the end of verse 10, it says there, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. He says they can come if they're willing to come on God's terms, receiving the invitation. And the invitation is to surrender to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That's the ultimate story that he's sharing here, to receive the Messiah. And, and so they finally, this last little scene in the parable is very important. The invitation was rejected, the rejectors are punished, and now the new guests are invited, and now finally the intruder is expelled. So the story takes a twist and a turn here. Notice verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. When you go to a wedding at the king's place, you've got to do what's right. You say, as you hear this story, and I'm sure people who were hearing this story would have thought also, well, wait just a minute. You just told your servants to go out into the highways and the byways and start sweeping people off the street. You can't expect to get a whole lot. And so the, the point that's interesting to make here is that there was only one guy out of this whole group that's, that's filled the wedding hall there. There's this one guy who wasn't properly clothed. Now, we don't know whether he, they had time to go home and get a garment or whether the king provided the garments. There's a big debate about that. Sometimes people say, well, they had time. They went home, they got their Sunday best, and they wore it. Others say, no, the king gave them a garment. The parable doesn't say anything about it. The thing we can assume is that everybody had access to the proper garments. So whether they went home and got it or whether it was provided to them by the king or whatever, they had access to it. I lean towards that it was provided to them. And so the one guy, he comes, in, he comes in there, he's not properly dressed, he's easy uh, to spot. And so the king goes into the banquet hall and he's looking around, this guy sticks out like a sore thumb over here. He sees him, he goes to him, notice verse 12. And he says to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, it's interesting there that the king addresses this man 
as friend. Because it's implying there uh, that he was open to an explanation. Uh, but when he was questioned, this man didn't have any answer. He was guilty of failing to honor the king's son in a proper manner. Now, ultimately, what we see here is the garment ultimately refers to the righteousness of Jesus Christ provided through his death. And to refuse it would be to refuse Christ's sacrifice. To refuse Christ is to refuse life. You think this man, if, if, if he had an excuse, he would have given one. But the Bible says he's speechless. Why? Because he had no excuse. Which means that everybody could have had a garment, including him. He just didn't do it. I mean, he came in there saying, basically, I, I, I'm just going to be myself. I'm not going to do anything different than I normally do. I'm just going to come to the party just like I am. Very proud, very insulting, very thoughtless is the implication here. Then you come to verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Now, you might be scratching your head thinking for just a moment, just for not wearing the proper clothes? Yes, it was that important. Why did they bind him up? Why did they do all that, tie him up? Because if they didn't do that, he'd just come back again. And so they tie him up so he can't come back again. And then it goes on to say, they're cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that phrase always used about? Hell. So this is more than just a common story. There's a spiritual emphasis to this story that if you've rejected the Messiah, if you've rejected Jesus, and you try to come in your own righteousness, in the own, your own good deeds, you're going to be rejected. It's saying people who try to crash the kingdom, they come in, uh, people even today come in and, and hang around. They sometimes join churches. They get involved. Uh, they're apart, but they don't have the proper garments. They don't have the garment of salvation through Jesus Christ. They have profession of the lips, but not possession in the heart. They're the kind of people who will say in the judgment, Lord, Lord. We, didn't we know you? We did all these things in your name. And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So what are these garments? Because if you want to get to heaven, you want to make sure you've got the right garments on. It's the garments of righteousness, but not your righteousness. Because the Bible tells us that your righteousness is as filthy rags. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to you as a free gift of God's grace. That's God's mercy and God's love to you when you accept the invitation to receive him as Lord and King. And so the king looked at this man and he saw no righteousness. He saw no holiness. He saw no respect. He saw no godliness. He says, you don't belong in here. You can't crash the kingdom in this wedding feast on your own terms. And this wedding guest did what many people to do. They profess Christ while in their lives they show no evidence of a saving faith. He thought if his garments made him look enough like other Christians, then he'd be saved. You know, and there are people who do that today who believe if they just look enough like a Christian, they'll be saved. If they just wear the garments of, I'm a nice person, I'm a good person, I haven't done bad things, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't hurt anybody. They know that God hates sin, 
and they believe they're not as nearly as sinful as other people are. They don't think of themselves as being bad people. And if they have done any bad in their lives, they believe that their good works will somehow outweigh any bad that they've ever done. And they kind of get the cart before the horse. Their, their focus is, uh, of what gets them into heaven is on their works, not the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Understand this, works is a part of our salvation. It gives the evidence of the, of the faith that we have in Christ. But he's saying here, they've got it backwards. They're putting the works first. If I do enough good works, that will get me to heaven. And that's why there's a difference between the good works of a true Christian who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ and the good works of the world. There are good works that people in this world who are lost do. They do philanthropic things and, and, and good things. But that's why the worldly good works are, as the Bible tells us, as wood, hay, and stubble, or as Isaiah says of our righteous good deeds, they're as filthy rags, unworthy, good for nothing. This guest had been ungrateful. And when those kind of people are ungrateful to God and they're confronted, it reveals a deep-seated rebellion that they have against God's authority. They have no joy in God. They have no real desire to read or hear His Word. They continue to pursue the fleeting, empty things of this world that it has to offer. But they end up miserable and angry with God and think, I'm a good person. Why is all this happening to me? In the end, this is a story of eternal rejection. This wedding guest and those who only profess Christ with their lips and not in their heart where it changes their lives, they reject God until finally he rejects them and they're rightly punished and cast into darkness forever. So now we come to verse 11 through verse 14. We're looking here in verse 11 through verse 14 at the Gentiles. Because Israel had treated Jesus with indifference and hostility, but many today have too. Israel was set aside for judgment. Many today will be too. But understand this, you're here this morning, you're watching online this morning, there is still hope for you today. He says to all the rest of the world, come, but don't think that you can come on your own terms. You have to be clothed with his righteousness by faith in his death and his resurrection. And so the whole thing closes here in verse 14. He says, For many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, the call goes out to the whole world. Isn't that what the gospel message is in John 3.16? For whosoever believes is for the whole world. Anyone who will trust in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So the, so the call goes out to many, but few are chosen because few accept the invitation. See, understand that. The gospel invitation is sent out everywhere. Some are indifferent. Some are hostile to the message. Some try to crash the kingdom on their own terms, but few are chosen. The question for you this morning is this. Have you 
accepted the invitation. Not just with your lips, but in your heart. That he's changing your life from the inside out. And if you have accepted the invitation, are you like his servants, going into the highways and the hedges and compelling people to come in, going to the crossroads where people are and sharing with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Whether that's sharing with your family members or that's sharing with your neighbors or your co-workers, have you invited others to the wedding feast? If you haven't, let me encourage you to do that before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, we know from this parable and from the things we see in this world even today that there are those who dare to come before the king while they're still defiled with all their pagan sin and were condemned just like Israel who persistently refused to come at all to receive Jesus as the Messiah. Lord, I pray that we would not think of ourselves better than others. Lord, may we know that all can come on God's terms. Lord, help us to have faith in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that you've invited us all to the, to the celebration of celebrations. So help those who are here this morning who have never received the, the invitation to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Father, I pray they would receive the invitation this morning and come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not in our own filthy rags. Lord, cleanse us, Lord, from the inside out. And Father, I pray that there would be those who would just simply call out to you, Dear Lord, I know I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that if someone's prayed something like that in their hearts and they have meant that with all sincerity, may they come this morning, Lord, to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, there are others of us who are here as believers who are to be like those servants Help us, Lord, to go out into the highways and into the byways. Help us, Lord, to share the invitation for others to come to the wedding feast. And Father, help us to do that before it's too late, where we'll not have another opportunity to share that gospel message. Father, may you be glorified and may you be honored in this invitation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us. Number 312, would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation? is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me.
be seated for just a moment. Brother Bobby, if you'll come. Miss Brittany has an announcement about Vacation Bible School, Brittany. Good morning. Um, first, our next Vacation Bible School meeting will be the 30th of April at 4 p.m. So if you are helping with VBS, it would be um, important for you to be there. Um, VBS kickoff will be the 3rd of June at 5, and then VBS is the week of June 5th through the 9th. Um, so you could sign your kids up. Are we doing pre-registration? Yeah, okay. So whenever that opens, we'll let you guys know. And then if you teach a Sunday school class, if you can meet me right up here at the front, right after service, so I can just talk to you for a quick second, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Matt's got an announcement, uh, and then I'll follow him. I don't know why they want me to go last. <laughs> We want you to pray. Oh, that's what okay. it is. Um, I want to uh, invite y'all tonight too at four o'clock, you know, to come and or five o'clock, sorry, to uh, have an opportunity of prayer and also uh, gospel training, so that you know next uh, Sunday is our share Sunday, so that we go out to the highways and byways uh, to share Jesus with those around us. So, if you're interested, if you would uh, prayerfully consider just coming tonight and and just kind of you know praying with us you know, walking through how we can share the gospel with people. And so we've done it the past two months on the last Sunday. And so next Sunday is, our, is, is going to be Share Sunday. So I want to encourage y'all to be there. And, you know, we'll meet upstairs in the youth room and just kind of go through any questions or, or maybe some, you know, fears you may have and, and why we have those fears. And so it'll be a good opportunity to talk through some of that as well. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Uh, there's a couple of announcements. Don't forget tonight we have our quarterly business meeting. We'll be talking about restoring our pews or whatever, uh, and uh, the buildings and ground will be presenting that. Also, we got an updated uh, be in prayer for our uh, Easter egg hunt. That's one of our major events to reach out children. We get in it around three, 350 people that uh, something like that so miss linda has asked you if you can help with uh, food preparation on friday night or hiding the eggs on saturday morning or helping with the games or being here to talk with people or help with traffic the easter egg hunt is on saturday afternoon there's a sign up sheet out on the bulletin board and uh, outside pastor jim's office as far as announcements, I think that's all the announcements. Have a couple of prayer concerns. I'd like for our church to remember Brother Sidney Gibson. His wife, Miss Sandy, passed away. They had a memorial service for her yesterday. Also, Brother Sidney's having some problems. Uh, talk with him. He's in a wheelchair. He says that he's had all these tests, and they say, well, it's not this, but he's still having trouble. His fleet speech gets blurred sometimes and he has a hard time walking so remember that family also be in prayer for betty glazner her family and the passing of lee uh, okay uh went for daniel as betsy's cousin and also beverly uh daniel's brother-in-law he passed away member of that family and if you will remember sandra wales had to carry her to the emergency room yesterday with kidney stones 
They transferred her up to Vanderbilt because they said the kidney stone was too big to, uh, for them to handle. But then they sent her back, so I'll have to check on what's going on. So be in prayer for her, be in prayer for her church, uh, for each other, for Brother Jim and Brother Matt and Brother Mike and others that lead us. Is there any other concerns that we need to be concerned about? So we want to remember Brian's nephew. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we want to thank you for being able to come into thy house today. We want to thank you for each person here. But, Father, we ask that you be with the ones that couldn't be here in a special way. We thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for our church and for Brother Jim and his leadership as well as others. Let us go now in peace, giving you the honor and the praise that passes all understanding through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.